recorded live. You're now tuned into the VMware Community Podcast, your number one source on VMware news and updates, interviews with V experts, product updates, new launchings, VMware events, and much more. Join the conversation and welcome to VMware Community Podcast. Now live with Eric Nielsen. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Community's Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 547. My name is Eric Nielsen, and with me today, I have my co-host, Matt Lungeth. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, 2021. Wow, where is the time going? Uh, Matt, how are you doing today? Well, it's the 17th by my schedule, but I think, who knows, right? It's We're still in all things COVID and all things pandemic, so maybe time travel has come about. But uh, St. Patrick's Day here in the U.S. for, for all those that celebrate such events, uh, I have my green on. Uh, but uh, all things are well, Eric. Better than I deserve to be, as, as always. Uh, the weather has started to clear, but we're starting to see some more showers, some severe thunderstorms coming through here in the mid-Atlantic uh, through the end of the week with some severe thunderstorms actually forecast for tomorrow. So hopefully that passes wow. through in what's supposed to be a relatively nice weekend for the middle of March. But how are you, sir? How are things out there? And what's the color of the bay? Well, I'm doing good. And this explains things. I'm, I'm experiencing Groundhog Day. I have been on March 16th now for at least a week. So uh, we'll just keep running this way. And uh, it is... Uh, St. Patrick's Day, so I, I I don't have any green on. I am not a kind of green monster. I look, I have no green clothes. So there you go. It is beautiful weather here in California. At least it was yesterday. Today it looks a little stormy. So we're we're bouncing back and forth between summer and winter here in uh, in California. But uh, it's gonna it's it's looking like it's supposed to be sunny for the next several days. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm a beekeeper, so it is bee season, and all the swarms are happening. So we've caught like four swarms in the last two days so it's been a busy time for us uh, out in the weather because uh, we're out climbing up step ladders and trees catching those swarms and putting them in some boxes so that's been a fun time for me here Corey Romero in a container maybe uh haha yes then I'm going to manage them through uh all of our amazing management products that we offer here at VMware but no, I'm just going to keep them alive and try not to get stung. No pun intended. Uh, Corey Romero, how's it going out there in Utah? It's going great, Eric. Yeah, that, that was funny with the uh, containers and the bees. Yeah, things are going great in Utah. Weather's nice. Uh, we got a little bit of snow the other day. It finally rained for the first time in months, right? So it's been warm enough that we have rain, and we're going to be in the, in the 50s and low 60s. So coming into spring, uh, I'm getting excited. The rivers and waterfall, water, uh, waterfalls will be flowing. Um, so, right. yeah, excellent. Good. All right. Well, we'll start with a little news. But before we do that, let's talk about what we're going to do on the show today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Kendrick Coleman. Kendrick's got a couple different Kubernetes sessions out there. So you can Google him and see what he's been up to. But we have him on the show today, mostly because, you know, we're we're getting ready for the uh, launch, uh, Modern Apps launch. that's going to be happening uh, March 31st. Uh, so uh, we would encourage everybody to go register for the March 31st Modern Apps uh, launch, Cloud and Modern Apps. 
uh, March 31st, 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific. And if you're an APJ, that's going to happen April 1st. And EMEA, April 1st as well, 11 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. respectively. You can go to VMware.com and register or VMware.com app-cloud-event.html. Get yourself registered. It's going to be only an hour and a half kind of event. What We're going to be talking, doing some announcements on what's happening with modern apps and cloud. So uh, go register for yourself. And we've got uh, Kenny here to, uh, to come talk. Hendrik Coleman, come talk about it. Senior Technical Product Line Manager for Cloud Native. So we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, Corey Romero, I know you have one or two announcements on vExperts. We'll go through them, and then we'll get to Kenny. Yeah, so uh, April 3rd, we will be announcing the vExperts Subprogram Awards. So stay tuned to that. I'll release it on the blog on uh, blogs.vmware.com slash vExpert, as well as the vExpert Twitter handle, which is at vExpert. Um, so uh, last week, I was able to re uh, release a additional licenses for vExperts, and those include... Uh, vSphere 6 Enterprise. We've got some V experts who are still running 6 in production as well as their home lab. So we release that for them. Uh, HCX Enterprise. And the next four are really cool, which we have not released before. And I work with the BUs to, uh, uh, to get these licenses released. Um, so we released vRealize True Visibility Suite Enterprise, NSX Advanced Load Balancer, vRealize Network Insight for 6 for SD-WAN, Telco Cloud automation. So all of those licenses, if you're a vExpert, all of those licenses should be in the vExpert portal for you. And if they are not for some reason, um, please ping me, please shoot me an email and we'll get that squared away. That's, that's, that's awesome. I got to give uh, VMware credit for, you know, giving, uh, you know, 2,300 plus licensed packages to everybody that's out there, you know, you know, being our advocates, right? So yes. it's, a, it's a, it's a good value. And, uh, and thank you, Corey, for doing all that work. I know you have to work with different BUs to get them on board with giving away licenses. It's always a, it's always a challenge, especially as we're buying more products and acquiring more products and bringing them in. And I know that we're also continuing to, you know, keep raising raising my hand and all the all hands and uh, talking to people about getting SaaS licenses as well. So no one ever yes. addresses me when I put those questions, but every single all hands we have now and they open up for questions, I sit there and type them in my, like, how do we get SaaS licenses to our advocates and, uh, you know, key, you know, IT practitioner leaders in the ecosystem. And so they're hearing it from me. I'm becoming one of those pesty kind of guys now. Every time they see me, they go, oh, there's Eric. I know what he's going to ask. Right? There's that SaaS licensing guy. Right. Where's our SaaS licenses? Right. Exactly. So, so it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we'll get that, but uh, thanks for getting those licenses out. I appreciate that. That's, I, mean, I know that everybody does that as well. Uh, on escalations, I've been meaning to ask you, I know there have been a lot of escalations on the experts. you know, a lot of people saying, Hey, come look at my app again. How are you doing on that? And uh, are we going to ever build an app that just handles those escalations in the tool itself? You know, yes, we will. Uh, currently, we, we have switched over to uh, to fill out a form versus all the emails coming in. Uh, so the next round, hopefully, we'll have something built into the app where we can do that, uh, where we'll get some sort of flags and some sort of announcement uh, that there's been a uh, an appeal for that. Um, so yeah, I've gone through all of those escalations and all of those appeals and uh, ironed the things out. We've we verified with some uh, with some internal folks um, some of the references and other things, and we've gotten back to everybody. And I think. Uh, for the most part, uh, we have 
added most of the appeals that came back, right? I think a lot of them were just either misunderstandings or the information just wasn't properly uh, validated or even in the application. So uh, things are looking great. Everybody seems to be happy. You know, part of a lot of the community work that we do is just a list of people, lists of stuff, and then having to process lists of stuff. I'm doing carbon black processing these days because we we took over the carbon black community and to join carbon black you have to be verified as a security expert in order to get into the community it's a lot of lists a lot of you know click and processing so appreciate all the click and processing you've been doing on the uh, the escalations on the applications it's just list of things you have to go through and process people and engage with them and and solve their problems if you can so appreciate that okay um before, as we are now finished with news, we don't think we have any other news that I need to know about. So we'll get to Kenny Coleman. So Kendrick or Kenny, I think you're, you go by. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Why don't you do give us a, a you know couple mil, minute elevator pitch? Wherever you worked before, how did you end up at VMware, and what do you do here? Oh, that's a that's a long one. I like it, but yeah. thank goodness I'm not the SaaS person. You have to ask licenses for us so all. I'll make sure that's that's great there. Uh, so I guess we'll uh, we'll roll back uh, in the time machine here. So I got uh, gosh, I started doing VMware uh, back in ESX 3.0 days. I think like 2010 was the first year. I oh gosh, maybe that was the first year I spoke at VMworld. It was a long time ago, and I, I was very much heavily involved in the VMware community. I think I was on one of the like probably in the first like 80 VMware community roundtables way back in the day, way just back, yeah. way back in the day. Uh, yeah. So it's, it was, it's, I had a, I had a great journey, a good time. And that was just really getting to the thick of just being a VI admin, just knowing vSphere in and out and sort of making my way up the ranks and, you know, taking one of the first, you know, VCAP data center exams that were first out and oh, man, I, I'm kind of showing my age here now, but you know, I, I was I was very heavily involved in the VMware ecosystem for a long, long time. And then I got to the point where I had done a lot of the, the VCAP data center types of certifications. And really the only place to go next was VCDX. And I thought to myself, like, I don't really think I need to go that far. Like, I, I don't really felt like it was there for, for my particular career path. And I just try to figure out, like, well, what's next? Like, what's the next thing I can work on? And also just kind of tell you what I was. I was just doing VI admin stuff for a lot of different just end users and, and working on the customer side for a very long time at that point. But it got to the point where I was then hired into a, a small company called uh, Acadia, which was also first known as VCE, which was a, a joint venture between VMware, Cisco, and EMC. And I remember that. Yep. Yeah, and I came in because I was very, like, again, heavily rooted into the VMware ecosystem. I, I knew it pretty well in and out uh, in regards to vSphere, and that's when vCloud Director came along. I ended up authoring a chapter in the book with Scott Lowe, all on vCloud Director, and was really all in on the service provider side of things. And I was doing that for a few years and helping customers design vCloud director environments on vBlocks and everything like that. And I think I got to the point where I said like, yeah, I kind of need to figure out like what's next? What, what do I want to do? And there was somebody on my team that was creating a front end with Ruby on Rails to vCloud director to kind of make a more simplified approach to a infrastructure as a service. And I had a background in 
programming. That's what I graduated uh, from University of Kentucky with, of, of just doing a lot of, you know, just kind of like basic coding and stuff like that. And I said, well, I can probably get back into this. And just to rewind the clocks back even further, my first job out of college was actually working at a sprint call center, uh, analyzing all of the calls that were dropped, that were uh, picked. And I had to basically create a uh, a report every single morning at 10 a.m. that had to go, or at 9 a.m. that had to be on the top level manager's desk to kind of like look at all the data from the previous day. It's amazing when you think about it now, like that long ago, like we would, we wouldn't look at data in real time. We would look at data from 24 hours ago and then try to figure out like what to do. So it's amazing how things have kind of progressed over the years. But I, I said, well, I want to start getting, getting back on the programming side. So I started getting back into uh, learning Ruby, learning Rails, and then learning Python, uh, learning more things along the lines of like Node.js. And I threw a, a bunch of different programs just out there on the web. And uh, one of them kind of had legs and, and, and had a, a good little life. And that caught the attention of somebody else inside of EMC at the time. And his name is Brian Gracely. He runs another podcast called The Cloudcast. And he was starting this sort of group with inside of EMC uh, that was supposed to be just about all open source. Didn't know really what we we're going to do or what the charter was. It just We just knew at the time there had to be something for open source and how EMC was going to kind of tie into it. And so I, along with two other people, were kind of the founding members of what became EMC Code. Uh, go through a, a few more years. We hired a, a lot more people. We ended up making a, a few key projects. We ended up writing the first Docker volume driver for AWS that also ended up being the first Docker volume driver for vSphere. Um, and eventually set down the path of what we have today, which is the container storage interface that exists today inside of Kubernetes. So uh, a lot of the spearheading was was done by some of the folks that were uh, on the team I was on. So it was a good time to be a, a part of that. And then uh, that team was disassembled and we all came over to VMware. So we all came over in different ways. Um, and I should also mention that I was doing some coding at the time. And then once we got to the point where we had some projects that had a lot of legs and you could see that it was gaining a lot of market, tra market traction, we said, okay, we need to hire some real developers because we're just like cowboy coders. We, we are, we're, we're getting by the skin of our teeth here, but at some point this is going to break. So we need to get some real coders inside of here. And, uh, and so anyway, a lot of people came over and, uh, they came over to engineering side. Um, so today they're still, uh, doing a lot of things with design engineering with VCR Tanzu, with Tanzu Kubernetes Grid. And I am now, I came over to help lead a lot of the technical marketing, for Tanzu Kubernetes Grid as well as vCero Tanzu. And so I've been doing that now for the past, I think, two, three, two years now uh, here at VMware. So it's it's been fun. And I was part of the initial product launch of Tanzu Kubernetes Grid. And I've been around with vCero Tanzu, which is also codenamed Project Pacific for uh, a little while now. And so that's sort of what I've been taking over as, as one of the products that that I've gotten real deep with. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great history, right? Like, I got so many things I could unpack here. We could do a whole whole show on just uh, everything you just covered there, right? Which is uh, interesting. The code piece to EMC, I remember that. But in fact, we created VMware Code because uh, we wanted to have kind of a developer community, and uh, EMC had this really cool name called Code, right? And so we're like, oh, so we called up the EMC guys and said, can we use 
you know, code as a part of that brand. And uh, the icon they had for the code was a, a little kind of like swirly, you know, liney pattern. Right, exactly. So we went, we went and grabbed that and, and asked permission, could we actually use that also? And so we made a slightly different one for the VMware code. Um, and so that was cool. Then, yeah, it went over to Dell and then Dell ran code for a little while, right? It was like EMC Dell code for a bit. Then they came down and yelled at me and told me I couldn't use code anymore because Dell was going to run code and that was their logo. And you can, I was like, well, no, 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 we got, we got permission to use all that. Like and, we're all in the same family. I promise. Yeah, we're, it's, yeah. it's a promise. But and then then it all then we then yeah, then Dell decided that they didn't want to be in that business or they wanted to you know basically move it to VMware. I think and, and so ev most of everybody that was in the Dell slash EMC code world came over and then it became kind of like the Tanzu, you know, engineering group partly or marketing tech marketing engineering group at the same time. And they were still running VMware code and you guys come do sessions with us too. Right. And it uh, kind of has all come together. So that's a, it's an interesting history, right. And uh, appreciate all that beginning work you did. We were so in awe of the EMC code stuff when we were trying to think of how to build a code program. And we're like, look at these guys, they got, you know, they got, I, good name they got icons and they're working on kubernetes so uh we, it's a yeah we got lucky i mean it was it was a lot of uh and i think that's one of the things that that most people may not realize is like when you work in a large company like you've got to be careful of the toes you step on or the glass you break and making sure that you're not playing in somebody's sandbox and and so we we had at least back with the mc code we had a lot of free reign to figure out like what does open source mean like what is this going to mean to a big storage company that sells a proprietary storage devices like how can right. you play inside of open source and we it was honestly it was just kind of like luck and I'll, just to tell you a funny story like how it all worked you know brian gracely looked at clint kitson who now leads our our tons of grid engineering team and said go, i don't know what this docker thing is just go figure it out and see if we can do anything with it and you right. put clint in you know uh, with a computer in his home for uh, a few weeks and few you know, like i said a little bit later he starts coming up and he wrote the first docker volume driver for aws and and that's kind of like what spearheaded this and we saw that there's a connection like we can make something with storage and proprietary and open source and and that's kind of like how it all it all kind of culminated from there right cool yeah matt any comments before we get into the the rest of the show Eric, I'm just mesmerized by Kenny's bourbon collection, but I'm sure that we'll get to that soon enough. But let's dive in all into all things uh, K8s and yeah. go in from there. If you're listening to this on iTunes and you want to check us out, what we look like and his bourbon collection, you can go to youtube.com slash vbarbecue. B-A-R-B. I don't even know how to spell barbecue, but you can go, <laughs> you can Google it, figure it out, and uh, we'll go from there. So go check that out. We have live stream. And you can give us a like and a follow if you want. I think we have nearly 400 followers on our YouTube channel. Woohoo! Yay for us. Um, but okay, so Kenny, uh, we always thank you for that great introduction. We're a community podcast, community roundtable, the experts, all that. So we like to hear you know, the history of people. And then when we have you come back, we'll do a shorter version of that. Um, so you've kind of got us to where we are now, which is we have Tanzu, uh, we have vSphere 7 with, you know, uh, Tanzu you know, integrated. You can manage Kubernetes, you know, vCubelets or v, uh, whatever, v, 
servlets. I forget what, what we call Spherelets. them now. Spherelets. That's it. Sphere, be spherelets. <laughs> so, so that's good. Why don't you tell us? Um, so we don't have to. We've talked about Kubernetes on a podcast already. So I don't think we have to do the 101 on Kubernetes. Most people are listening to this now. Now get it, right? Go go read about vSphere. Um how do you think it's going, right? I, you know, you're here, so you know we've we've kind of got it here now, and you know it was a big thing to just enable it in vSphere. Um, what's the market acceptance? How do you think we're doing versus you know native Kubernetes kind of implementations? Just want to get your perspective of like what do you think? How are we doing when it comes to our strategy? Absolutely, and I think you you definitely like uh, to take a word out of your playbook here. You unpacked a lot there because there's a lot of different ways we can look at this. I mean, you've seen a, a few different iterations and evolutions of what does Kubernetes mean to VMware, and you know it all started off at the very beginning of just creating some sort of open source drivers that anybody that is wanting to build Kubernetes on top of virtual machines can interface with vSphere APIs. I mean, that was kind of like what really started and kickstarted this whole thing. Uh, shout out to Fabio Rapazzelli out of Italy. He's like the, you know, the kind of like the man that really, really kind of like spearheaded a lot of what you saw today and in, in the driver aspect of it. And so you had something that was a bare minimum uh, that kind of got you in the door and, and kind of just got you started with Kubernetes and be able to inter interface with vSphere. Uh, you've had the evolution of enterprise PKS, which is now TKGI, and that is now a part of uh, you know the pivotal acquisition. And that was really the first. Uh, maybe it wasn't the first. Uh, I think there's a Graham has another one in the chat. Vic, uh, you know, that was between those two. Those were really the first two commercial offerings that you saw out of VMware. Even though Vic was more open source, but P PKS really gave you a commercial offering that automated a lot of the components that you needed for either lifecycle management, patching, updating, creating, deleting, everything like that. And, and, and I think that's what maybe most people don't know is that's the hardest part when it comes to taking care of Kubernetes is just the creation, the deletion, the lifecycle management, updating, because this is, and you know, to what you were saying in the very beginning, like, what does it look like when you took the, the days of like bare metal versus virtualization? If I take it from my own perspective, where I came back from the EMC code days, and we were writing some of the drivers of utilizing at the time scale IO and running natively on bare metal, we looked at this as like, holy, holy, God, like we are, we are going to be killing it. Like we're going to be crushing it. We don't need a hypervisor anymore. Like we are, we can, we can install Kubernetes. We can get going. We can run containers and we're off and running. And it was a lot easier to say that when I didn't have to manage the environment. And because in theory, it sounded fantastic. It sounded like, oh yeah, I can get rid of all this. I, I don't need it. Uh, in actuality, that is not the case because mm. what we're typically finding out is that customers aren't creating, when you think of vSphere and you have a, an environment, you know, you have what, 20, 30, 40 hosts that create this massive pool of resources. You don't necessarily see that when it comes to Kubernetes. Instead, you see small pockets. You see, um, you know, running on, let's say, 10 ESXi hosts, you might have 10 to 20 Kubernetes clusters. And you do this because you need either separation between business units, you need between applications, you need some sort of delineation that, that separates these out. It's not the same thing of just piling on a bunch of resources inside of vSphere and saying, you know, let, the, let the virtual machines go figure it out. 
um, because there are there are enhanced you know security vulnerabilities that do exist when you're running containers on the same virtual machine uh, and everything like that. So you do want to create these security boundaries uh, between each of them. And yeah, that's that's interesting. I'll just jump in a second because like there's sometimes where you there's an aha moment where you know what you just described was almost a little bit an aha moment for me, which is. It's not going to, you're not running Google search engine where you're going to have a 20 million little, you know, cubelets running, doing your searches because that's not how big corporations run apps. You know, they're not that giant. So this, this concept that you're going to have segments of them running in various places and various domains with various access points, uh, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like that's, that would be how I would see enterprise apps kind of being built, right? Is, you know, Hey, we're, you have an app team, you're going to build an app. It's going to run this way. And it's not going to just scale across thousands of, you know, this magic mystery generic cloud. It's actually going to be hard tax of actually building out, you know, a environment to support an application. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of that also goes into just the what you can do in predictability wise. If you're not able to programmatically build Kubernetes clusters, it's going to be impossible for you to maintain the lifecycle of them. I mean, if you just think of, OK, building one cluster is easy. I can go to Kubernetes the hard way or I can just utilize open source components such as cluster API and, and kubeadm and I can I can get these up and running. I can spin them up. Um, however, when you're doing it like that, or you are doing it with just the open source components, things tend to be a little fragile. Um, that's the, that's the nature of what open source is, right? You, you get it for, you know, quote unquote free, but it comes with a little bit of a tax of that. There's going to be some, uh, a little bit of pain, uh, you know, across the way that's going to, you're going to come along as well. Now, what you've seen in the kind of like the latest evolution with Tanzu Kubernetes Grid, as well as vSphere with Tanzu is that. It, it becomes much more predictable because we are we are supplying all of the uh, components in the dependency tree. I mean, if you look at the dependency tree of just Kubernetes, when you think about core DNS, you think about um, uh, uh, CNI plugins, CSI plugins, uh, kubeadm, and these all have version dependencies underneath of them. You're looking like a couple hundred deep of all of the the, the software dependencies that that continually just kind of keep trickling down. And so making sure that you have alignment between all of them is very, very tough to do. And I think that kind of just goes back to why most people look at commercial software anyways, because you expect it to work the way that you want it to work. And so that's why when you're seeing anything with Tanzu Kubernetes Grid as well as vSphere Tanzu, we rely on what are called Tanzu Kubernetes releases, which is our engineered release of Kubernetes. But it is not a fork. It is nothing that we're doing different. All it is is we are verifying and signing and saying we know that these particular OVAs that we have built with upstream Kubernetes are guaranteed to work. And I'm not going to say your money back, but <laughs> these these are these are these are going to be uh, they're going to have consistency and they're going to have predictability as you continue to build more clusters, scale clusters, update clusters, so on and so forth. Kenny, back to your original analogy that for, that you had talked about with the reporting aspect from one of your first jobs that are out of college. I think of, of it is the developers are in this instance are the ones that are making the calls, right? They don't necessarily think about all of the, the cell phone tower infrastructure and everything that goes into the, the QoS and whatnot. They just want to consume the service. But to provide that service and to provide it well, we what need to be able to report on it 
and have a standardized infrastructure. So I think that that's, that's speaking as we make this dramatic shift of, of how we're delivering this you know, carrier-grade application, to make a bad cell phone analogy, that we have to be able to report on it and report on it well and maintain the environment to certain standards. And that's why we've liked vSphere for as long as we have, right? I mean, what's the great thing vSphere allows us to do? It abstracts the hardware that's underneath of it. Yes, we can, we can um, you know, settle on a few vendors underneath of it for choosing our hardware, but vSphere at the end of the day provides us the abstraction layer that we want to make sure that we are not dealing with all the the driver mishaps and everything that we've been used to with uh, dealing with bare metal for so long. And, and that's one of the things that has been key to driving Kubernetes adoption is that, yes, you think you want to go bare metals to Kubernetes, you're going to run into the same exact issues of what you were doing of taking your other applications and, you know, trying to keep them bare metal, not moving to virtualization as to, to a virtualized infrastructure. So a lot of the same arguments really start playing hand in hand there. Yeah, there's an efficiency, so to say, by adding a, a, an additional layer where we think we're running that bare metal, that we're gaining that raw performance, but it doesn't scale. It doesn't scale out to that extra factor of reliability and what we, enterprises are calling and asking for. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, we, we could all look at, you know, we call the hypervisor tax uh, of, of saying that, yes, you're going to pay a little bit of tax on CPU and resources and consumption. Uh, but I can guarantee you that the benefits far outweigh the cons uh, of just having a little bit better performance just from a, uh, a manageability aspect of it. Sure. So uh, one of the things that strikes me about this whole, you know, transition I, I guess i should call it transition it's it's more like application transitioning and then the infrastructure has to kind of catch up but in this application transitioning if you look at kubernetes it was pretty much developer driven right i mean a lot of this was done by the developers and then i think cloud started to enable that as well um and I, obviously google and open source um how much of this is transitioning from the developer driven technology selections to kind of IT and developers working together or IT offering this up as Kubernetes as a service to the developers, right? Like, so do you see it a start, a transition starting to happen where originally developers were the ones who were doing it on their own. Nobody was really paying attention. You know, you put respawn stuff up on AWS and then eventually enterprise management started coming going, hey, we're spending too much money on AWS, why? Um, how much of this is now transitioning? Where do we think we are in that? You know, I would I would say that a lot of transition is actually moving into a vendor centric world. When you think of the origins of Kubernetes, knowing that it came from Google and it came from everything that they were building internally and how other people saw a need for that type of infrastructure. That's when, you know, the Ubers of the world started taking over and started making sure that they could apply it to their type of business. Now, one of the things that and it it's the cycle of every technology, you know, you've got your your bleeding edge consumers and then you've got your waiting for stability type of people. And we are now getting to the point where the software is stable, like Kubernetes is stable now. And, you know, rewind the clocks back two or three years ago. That's a completely different story. It's it was the trajectory was moving so fast. The things that you needed weren't there yet. But now. 99% of the things that you would need are going to be there. And, you know, everything else is either going to come or it's a feature that just hasn't been thought of yet. 
So when I think of this coming from a vendor centric world, we, we look at it as the, uh, as, as the consumer base and, and where's it going? Because, you know, the Ubers and, and, you know, Lyfts and everybody else that's in that type of world, they can manage it uh, as long as they can, but to make it consumable to uh, a regular enterprise or to a small, small, medium business, it's almost impossible. I mean, that's that's why you look at off self solutions to make sure that it is easily consumable, that it does uh, resonate with most of the sys admins that are out there. And Kubernetes isn't one of those technologies that resonates right away. I mean, it takes time to understand exactly what the software is doing and, and you know how all the bits are flowing and how the packets are connecting and everything like that. And this is just a, another evolution of the technology when we see that you have enterprises that are interested in running containers. However, they're not interested in trying to be a, you know, a Lyft or an Uber type of business where they have teams dedicated to figuring this out. And if they can't figure it out, then those teams are now responsible for going and coding all the hot patches and fixes and features and stuff that they need. So we start, we, we sort of see that, that transition move from the, the bleeding edge consumers and the ones that sort of start this wave into the point where, okay, we see this need, this sort of kind of wave in the marketplace. And how do we make this consumable for many of the enterprises, small, medium businesses that are out there? And that's where you start seeing a lot of the vendors come in, where you start seeing storage companies start building their own drivers. You see VMware start integrating into the compute sector side. You see, uh, People moving beyond just AWS and GCE, but to other clouds, you know, DigitalOcean and, and places like that, because they want to now make it an, an easy place to be able to run Kubernetes. And so that's where we start looking at the drive of, and, and to even go back to your original question, it's like, where do we stand today? VMware is positioned in probably the most, the, the best place ever to be the largest Kubernetes footprint there will ever be. And this is because anybody that's running vSphere today, you can turn on Kubernetes with as simple as a Tanzu basic license. And I think it's only, I don't know, like a couple hundred dollars a socket or something like that. It's, it's, it's relatively inexpensive. And as soon as somebody sees the need to be able to run Kubernetes and you just turn it on and you get it going, like right. when you look at the size and the footprint of, of vSphere, that's in almost every data center in the world, it, it overnight it could it could easily have the largest Kubernetes footprint that is that is out there and dwarf AWS and and other clouds. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. And so um, when we talk about the conversation, if that is the case that you know NS vSphere seven uh, you know gets propagates through the the infrastructure, it becomes just a turn of a switch. Um, IT practitioners then, I think, have to have the vocabulary and the knowledge to be able to work with the develop the app developers to make sure that they are meeting the needs, right? By saying, "Hey, what I'm turning on will work for you," right? Um, do we see those conversations conversations starting to happen? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what we've been doing now for um, you know a few years. Is is how do we make this consumable for the majority of our users out there? Because we, I mean, I've been in the shoes of, of a VI admin and I've seen, you know, software come out and it may look intimidating at times. And so the goal is to make it as simple and as, as easily consumable as possible. And, you know, not to get so product centric or focused or anything like that. But I mean, that's sort of what vSphere Tanzu 
is is aimed to do because as a VI admin, I still own the resources. I still own the infrastructure. But what I do is when I turn this on, I create what's called a vSphere namespace. With inside of that namespace, I create permissions. I set storage maximums or quotas or what, you know, even resource consumption quotas. And from there, I can I can back away. I can say I'm hands off from here. I, I don't really care to own the Kubernetes side of it. However, the application owners, the developers, DevOps, DevSecOps, whoever it is that wants to right. then run Kubernetes, you kind of just hand it over to them. They have access right. to, the, to the resources that you've provisioned and they can spin up clusters, they can spin up vSphere pods um, to whatever their their upper bound limit may be. Yeah, and I guess yeah. yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting at. And I guess you're you're kind of answering that, which is I see this transition is the same way NSX came along, right? When NSX came along and virtual networking came along, you know the uh, the the network administrator was a guy that lived in his own silo, wouldn't even talk to the compute and storage people, right? Because they just ran the network. And if you want to know networking, you had to file a ticket and wait three weeks for somebody to be assigned to your network config changes, right? That have to happen. Um, um, the good old days, right? Yeah, the good old days, right? And then virtual networking came along and all of a sudden, you know, things started to change, right? Slowly but surely. And now everybody just assumes that SDN is the way you do things and, you know, architecturally you roll out, you know, new networking in that, in that paradigm. And the IT practitioner kind of got street cred to be able to deliver that capa networking capability, right? At least in the virtual switches and such. Um I guess that's the same thing that has to happen around the developer gaining trust that my IT guy can deliver Kubernetes to me that I can I can rely on them and I can trust that they're going to deliver that and I guess as long as our our IT practitioners have that ability to turn it on and then deliver and then go back and explain to the developer yes we've got this you know we you know we're, we we can deliver that and get that trust then I guess that's that's the way it'll go and this is kind of where it also provides a benefit, you know, of course, to the, to the VI admins, but this is really where if you look at other types of commercial offerings or even open source offerings and how it would work on top of vSphere is you, you basically create an API gateway into vCenter and you say, okay, like here's the credentials to see you access vCenter and go. And there's nothing there today that says, okay, I can't spin up 500 virtual machines. Like there's nothing that's restricting you from doing that. And in a lot of these other solutions, and that is where you get the opportunity with VCR Tanzu as a VI admin to still have control of the resources and that, that consumption model, because to kind of go back to what you're saying is, you know, when we're doing infrastructure as a service and people are spinning up stuff inside AWS and the credit card bills came, there was, there's nobody that was monitoring or policing it or saying that this is what you can or can't do. This is where that is kind of shifting with inside of the vSphere space. And vSphere Tanzu makes it easy to, to be able to still own the infrastructure as a VI right. admin. And this is a bottoms up approach, but I think that uh, there's also a top down approach, which I think the top down approach is really working well for VMware, which is Joe Beta goes and talks to, you know, CIOs of companies and they're looking at from the top down rolling out, you know, massive Kubernetes infrastructures. And that one's an easy win because we're in that conversation and then we can do that. It's the bottoms up ones where developers are trying to figure out how to do it, you know, from their own and then 
can our IT practitioners engage there? So yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, you got to come up from both angles, and and Joe is great. Uh, Joe and Craig McClucky, I mean, they're they're great individuals. Some of the founders of Kubernetes that are at VMware now, and and they have a vision of where this is going to go, and and it's great to be able to see that because, as you said, yes, they they can cons- they can they can convince from an executive or a C level and say like this is the approach, this is how things are going to go, but it has to resonate with the people that are actually building the software, and you have to make it as lex- you know the least amount of friction as possible. And so, a lot of the solutions that we do build are using the same exact open source tooling that you would get if you didn't use our commercial offerings. Now, our commercial offerings package it very nicely and, and make it more predictable, as well as have integrations into, say, vCenter SSO that you wouldn't necessarily get out of the box. So, when you do that, though, we're still utilizing kubectl, like the same CLI that you use in the open source world, except we have a vSphere plugin for it, making it that much easier to consume. Kenny, what's you had talked about the, a, a vision and a strategy, and not necessarily just for VMware, but containers in general, and not even in the short term. Let's not say like even in an eighteen month run rate. And I, I know I'm asking you to predict here the future a little bit, but from someone that's had experience from the you know driver integrations with with these particular products, where do you see containers in general evolving to? in that next 36 to 60 months. Where's the end game? How do you see this evolving out? Um, Or has there been anything particular within containers as far as that next new iteration that really has excited you that that you could see absolutely being now containers, you know, two or 3.0? Well, I can tell you uh, a little bit like where people can get a little bit of an insight about where this is gonna happen. So I I kind of forgot to mention a little my intro as well. So I was on the Kubernetes release teams for I think like 1.12 through 1.16. And I was the enhancement lead, uh, meaning that any kind of new feature, any new functionality that was going to Kubernetes, I had at least some part of knowing what was going into the release and messaging it and going to all of the SIGs or the special interest groups and making sure that it was going to land. And that really gives you gave you an insight to see like this is what people are thinking, like this is what they're doing. Um, what kind of integrations are they looking at with service mesh? What kind of integrations are they looking at with GPUs? And it's so today I sit and I kind of look from the outside in because I haven't been in uh, in a few cycles now. But if you are ever interested in kind of seeing like the path of where Kubernetes is going, go and check out SIG release as a part of the Kubernetes open source ecosystem, uh, the special interest group, just SIG release. And the the enhancement lead is is usually the person that has their thumb on the pulse of of where the next version of Kubernetes is going and what are the new themes and what are the new features. Now, to kind of give you an idea of like, where do we kind of see this going in the future, uh, you know, beyond container, container 2.0, whatever it is, uh, you know, we're going to see more iterations. The The product is now stabilized and to the point where we were, or should I say we, when I, I take we as like, oh yeah, I was on the Kubernetes release team forever. But when I was on it, we, uh, we were doing Kubernetes releases once every quarter. Uh, that is now going to start shifting, I believe, to once uh, every, gosh, I, maybe maybe only twice a year now. So you're starting to yeah, see- More of this, that enterprise release cycle. Exactly. So you're starting to see the stability really come out with, with Kubernetes. And you're not going to see a, a huge change of just like new things that get pumped in every single release. Because at this point, you're, you're baking in a lot of those components already. 
um, you know, for ourselves, you're going to see a lot of things change because we're taking a, you know, Kubernetes, we're taking something that is um, very flexible and, and trying to fit it into our, our, our vSphere space. So you're going to see like different ways of like how we're going to architect high availability, um, how we're going to, you know, make GPU support available. Um, and, I mean, there's just gonna be a lot of different things that, that we're going to see over the next, uh, you know, one to two years, just on how we operate Kubernetes inside of vSphere. So that's, I can't give you a crystal ball of like what's coming after containers or everything like that. Cause I used to think like, Oh gosh, like we just started learning about Kubernetes and now serverless is here, but now kind of serverless is it's still there, but the wave isn't, you know, near as uh, high in velocity as it kind of used to be. So you, uh, you, you kind of still see these, uh, these technologies with these ebbs and flows. And, and so we'll, we'll end up seeing more stuff um, that'll start uh, coming up as well. Nice. So one of the things that's uh, always out there, you know, one, we have this transition to Kubernetes, but then we also have transition to SaaS. Everything is a SaaS service now. A lot of the tools I'm using are all SaaS, right? Like, an, and I got to say, I do like SaaS, um, you know, not, not, really a, not really a problem. Uh, I, like, I like SaaS a lot because it's just so easy to just spin up new services. So Except when we're talking, get those license keys, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no matter what, I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to have that printed on my forehead, you know, SAS license keys, please. Um, but when we talk infrastructure and we talk, you know, vSphere and yeah, we have, you know, VMC and AWS and VMC all over the place. Um, I guess the, the, the question is, do we see ourselves delivering up uh, Kubernetes kind of platforms as a SaaS service, um, much the way I go get Kubernetes on, VM, uh, on, on Amazon Azure right now, I guess um, because I already have some amount of data center that I'm operating, I could turn everything off. I guess if I'm starting to run Kubernetes on vSphere 7, uh, then I have some apps running. I look over at the cloud. Are we, are we you know, going to really turn all this stuff on as SaaS services? Yeah, I mean, you are definitely going to see, uh, I wouldn't say an explosion, but you will see more SaaS services coming online. And that goes for, I mean, like, let's, let's take a, a few examples. I mean, when you look at Tanzu Mish Control, uh, Tanzu Mish Control is, is sort of your global control plane. It looks after any kind of Kubernetes cluster. It looks at the health of it. It can look, you can do conformance scanning, like all those other kind of things. There was a lot of talk internally uh, because we have a lot of customers, you know, uh, people in Fed and, and everybody else. They're like, oh, can't do SaaS, can't do it. And there was a lot of talk internally of like, can we make this a, an on-premise product? And it came down from the executive decision said like, nope, we're sticking with SaaS. Like SaaS is going to be a way forward. And I think it's going to be, um, and by the way, I should also mention that these are my thoughts and these are not directly correlated to VMware's opinions or anything like that. But, uh, but SaaS is a very important and plays a, crit a critical role into the IT lifecycle and, and how you're going to manage this because as much as we want to think that, and, and it's for our own self selfishly that, oh yeah, of course, like all your infrastructure and your everything's running on vSphere, like that's not the case. Like we know that you're running applications in multiple clouds and your own on-premise data centers and, and multiple locations. And you're going to need some type of tool that can, that can take care of that. And SaaS is going to become more of a prevalent tool as, as we continue down this, uh, you know, as we continue down here and it's going to be a, a trending, 
uh, topic in the next few years. And, you know, even, in, you know, that's just from the management aspect of it. I mean, you've got tons of observability, which is also another SaaS based product that is not going to be running on premise. So these are just some of the things that you're going to be uh, kind of having to, I want to say come to terms with, but it is, it is something that anybody that is uh, really holding onto their servers pretty tightly will have to realize that you've got to embrace uh, a SaaS type of, of infrastructure and you have to embrace anything that we're going to be able to deliver as a SaaS product as well. Yeah, I, I guess um, I, I have to come to the conclusion, maybe I can run this out because I'm 58 years old now. So maybe I can make it to another 10 years with uh, still living in my shell, right? You know, I still use VI. I still love shell. I still launch Linux stuff. I do. Uh, but I'm thinking that IT practitioners more and more just going to spend their time in web apps, right? Like that the the web app console and the, and the you know, web apps in general that are giving you visibility into all the components that are now make up modern infrastructure. It, and it could be multi-cloud, it can be SaaS services, it could be on-prem. It's all going to fold up into control planes, which are web apps, right? And the days of SSHing into boxes and doing doing physical stuff and running demons and running launching stuff and you know, those those are they're going to still be here. There's still IBM mainframes running, right? They're still administrators that are running these guys uh, for legacy big stuff and things that make sense. Um, but I, I definitely see our role as IT practitioners now, much like my I spend more and more of my day every day running web apps, right? That, that are SaaS service based apps that give me a console that I can still do complicated stuff. I can bring the whole machine down, right? I can crash it, right? But but it's from a web app, right? And it's it's services running from lots of different places. And I guess uh, to our original, your original conversation of as these applications, Kubernetes apps are complicated, um, there's just going to be web tools that allow you to manage what is a modern day crazy infrastructure across a lot of different clouds and a lot of different services running. Well, I want and, and to, and yes, you're, I would say that at least, you know, being able to spin up a shell and, and you know how to troubleshoot inside there, like, you know, give yourself a badge of honor because that is something that you can never take away because that, that means that you're a true practitioner being able to kind of know the ins and outs of it. If I kind of take a, something, you know, a thought that we had years ago when we were messing with Kubernetes and this is before, even before the Kubernetes UI even existed. Um, it, it, that's actually been deprecated now because there's so many other ones that are out there. So the open source version is kind of like no longer around, but we always look at it. It's like, if you want to be an enterprise product, what do you have to do? You have to slap a GUI on it. Like that's, that's the, that's the name of the game. If you don't slap a GUI on it, then people aren't going to take you seriously. And I think that is where you do see the trend happening. And no matter what, granted years ago, you didn't have the ability to get insights into a particular Docker container about what it's running without utilizing a CLI to be able to do it. And to take, uh, Graham's got a great comment here uh, in the in the chat here. It says, well, vCenter has a pretty good web app too. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's vCenter gives you what you need to get 80% of your job done. However, there is 20% when you need to look at the logs, when you need to figure out why something, uh, you know, why something didn't get uh, executed or why something didn't get enabled. Well, you've got to go and you've got to be able to uh, troubleshoot. You got to look at that. And there's other types of web apps that are being developed as a part of the Kubernetes ecosystem. So you've got things like Project Octant today, which is an open source tool that comes uh, was originally done with inside the walls here at VMware. But 
the real cool thing about how that works is that it actually runs on your desktop and it utilizes your local cube config of whatever it set its context to. So whatever kind of cluster it set its context to, you open up Octant and you look at it through a Chrome browser and you can visually look at everything running inside your Kubernetes cluster. So you can look at the nodes, you can look at the pods, you can look at the persistent volume claims, and you can then also see like how they're all connected. Like how are these all mapping to one another as well? So if you are trying to troubleshoot an application and trying to understand like, well, why am I not able to access the external service that should have an ingress controller that's paired to it? Like what what's missing here? And well, you'll be able to see that just through the UI because you'll see that those two dots aren't connected between the pod container and the ingress controller. And granted, you can get through there with a, a few clicks of, uh, of a UI or you can get there through the CLI, but it just gives you uh, another kind of tool in your back pocket as an administrator or even as a developer uh, or an application owner to visualize your application and figure out a new way to uh, you know take a look at it. Right, right. A lot of change, uh, but then, yeah, still the same, right? Uh, it's a job, and we and we all we all get paid for it. So I guess I guess it's good. Uh, I'll, I'll give up my shell a little bit now and then, maybe, maybe um, but, uh, <laughs> but maybe you, not. You, know, you, you have yeah. to you have to have that that sort of integrated knowledge to be able to right. go into a container or go into the Kubernetes cluster or even go into your ESXi host and, and start trolling logs and, and look at the, yeah. you know, look at everything to kind of understand exactly what's happening. Um, right. I think that's the only way that you become really a master of your craft is, is knowing the actual technology. Um, it's a lot easier to say that, you know, vSphere than it is to say like, Oh yeah, I've, you know, yeah. you know, utilize custom ESXi right. profiles and ISO profiles and, you know, developed and deployed it all on my own too. Yep. All right. So we're coming up to the top of the hour and we usually like to you know, have a conversation about where are you going for the rest of the year, right? We're in uh, 2021. Everybody's getting their vaccine pretty soon. Maybe we'll get out and uh, get to fly around and see people again. Uh, as a community guy, it's kind of, it's hard to be in Zoom forever here. But what are some of your goals that you're trying to accomplish this year? Is it exposure? Is it just producing more content to get the message out? What are you trying to accomplish in 2021? and uh, um, you know any kind of takeaways and and I assume you're going to be doing stuff at VMworld again so give us kind of your 2021 uh, goals and objectives yeah I mean uh, I'm, I'm totally with you uh, I actually got my first dose of the vaccine this morning so uh, you know fingers nice. crossed hey, so fingers crossed we're, we're all we're all heading in the right direction um, you know when when the pandemic hit last year we and and all of a sudden, basically all our travel to all of our conferences and and everything that we did, you know, I was gone once a month to conferences and and other type of industry events, whether I'm speaking or I'm learning or networking with folks. Uh, well, that gave me a lot more time to create a lot more content for blog posts, for videos, for uh, how to's of everything that we're doing. So we're going to see a lot more of that um, coming out of me again this year. So I'll just you know stay tuned for pretty much a, a what's new with every type of release that you're going to see with inside of vSphere with Tanzu. So whether it's just blog articles telling exactly what are the new features are coming, uh, as well as uh, in-depth blog articles of those exact features as well. So uh, if you want to kind of put the cart before the horse here, so in a few weeks, I will have another blog post and a video that will be coming out that'll be showcasing vSphere with Tanzu and the new private registry uh, integration that we have by being able to 
automatically trust, uns, uh, uh, I guess you'd say trust uh, self-signed certificates. Um, so it was one of the biggest pain points that we had with running tons of Kubernetes clusters, clusters before was that you could only pull containers from places like Docker Hub or GCR.io or places that had a public trusted certificate certificate and nothing that you'd be running in, inside internally. Uh, so now with update two, it's a, a great new feature that we can now basically inject uh, untrusted certificates into new tons of Kubernetes clusters. And so they automatically trust um, these, these self-signed certificates. So again, you're going to just going to see a lot more out of me for that. I will definitely be, uh, let's see, we've already had, uh, let's see, we had worldwide kickoff. We're going to empower coming up. I will have, uh, I've got two sessions. I am recording for multiple virtual V mugs that are going to be going around uh, for the remainder of the year. So you're going to, you're hopefully this is not going to be the last one. You'll be hearing a lot more from me and, and more about Vsira Tanzu here for the remainder of 2021 for sure. Yeah, that's great. And I know we should have done this at the beginning of the podcast because yeah, how many people listen to the very end? If you have listened to the end, thank you. But Kenny, you have a website. I believe your website is Kenny.something. What is your website? Yeah, I, I over at KendrickColeman.com. Uh, hasn't really been updated too much anymore. You know, it was one of those things that, man, when I was way back into uh, VMware days, and, it, and that was, I think, that how a lot of people got into to blogging is that when you are an administrator and you are in the weeds every single day and you're in a, and, and you find a problem that you can't Google, what do you do? You write a blog post article saying this is how you solved it. And so I did that for a very, very long time. Um, and then a few years ago when technical marketing sort of became my role and with technical marketing comes writing blogs, you tend to put blogging behind the, to the side when that becomes part of your job title. So, uh, KendrickColeman.com, there's, there's some old, some, some uh, old stuff. All right. Well then legacy stuff there, yeah, but sure. definitely follow All me right. on, on Twitter at Kendrick Coleman. And that's where I'm, I'm keeping up to date with, um, a lot of the stuff that, that we're up to. All right. So at Kendrick. K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, all one word. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, say hello to him. Maybe he'll even follow you back. Are you one of the follow back kind of guys? Or you got like 20,000 followers and you've only followed seven other people? <laughs> uh, I'm not at 20,000. I tell you what, it was, I think I'm like at seven or eight, but yeah, I still I still follow people back every once in a while. Uh, awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, good. Thanks for coming on the show where uh, we got three minutes left, but uh, Kenny, thanks a lot for coming here. And Hey, don't forget guys, if you're listening to this, go sign up for the VMware.com cloud event. Uh, it's www.vmware.com slash app dash cloud dash event dot HTML. Uh, do me a favor, go sign up for that guy. We're trying to get as many people as we can to come uh, listen to our executives. I know we lost Pat Gelsinger, but uh, we have Raghu Raghamaran and several others coming in to talk about where we're going in cloud and to kind of make some announcements that me and Kenny can't really talk about. Um, but uh, it'll be worth uh, signing up for it. It's only an hour and a half, so so go sign up and uh, give it a listen. Uh, I would appreciate it. We're trying to get some. And if you want to tweet that out and uh, get your friends to go sign up as well, uh, ask you to do that as well. So, Kenny, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to All be right. back here. All right. All right. And uh, from a V barbecue perspective, we'd last always do the last two minutes because it is lunchtime here in California with a little V, v barbecue report. And uh, I know Tony Foster doesn't have much and he's on, uh, but maybe we'll bring him in just uh, just to chat with him. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Not sure I hear you. No volume whatsoever.
There you we know, go. it helps if you unmute both things. Yeah, it does. I've got a speakerphone where I have a mute on the speakerphone and a mute on uh, on Zoom, and uh, I constantly struggle with the the multi mutes. But uh, so Tony Foster, I know you haven't done much barbecue. It's been uh, it's been a busy week this week. I managed to do a jerk pork in the oven. I know that doesn't really count as uh, as barbecuing outside, but uh, took a big pork roast and then just we jerked it and uh, and then let just cook in the oven for an hour and a half and you know you'd be surprised what you can do with that pork roast all week we've been shaving it off uh and then putting it in uh, wraps and stuff you know lettuce wraps with the uh, jerk Ooh, that pork sounds really good yeah, yeah yeah you can you can make a pork roast go all 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 week long and then what we also did was we took a section of it cut it into cubes little you know inch and a half by inch and a half cube and then put uh, toothpicks on it and then we serve it up as you know uh, keto snacks right so if you want a little keto snack it's uh, keto is about eating a lot of fat right so it's a perfect keto diet is a perfect uh, barbecuer's <laughs> dream right because you're supposed to eat meat and fat right so we'll we, we cube that guys up and just uh, microwave it up to get nice and warm and drippy and then put toothpicks on it and serve it as like little hors d'oeuvre cubelets uh, man that's actually better than almost all the other barbecue tricks I've had this year. It's like just do a big pork roast, jerk it to heck, and then uh, chop it up into little cubes and serve it throughout the week as little snack bites. Really, really nice. yummy. Yeah. Kenny, it sounded like uh, in chat you might have something to add to this discussion. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm a barbecue guy myself. Uh, I've got a green egg and everything like that, so I'm, I'm big into it. I think the, so the last thing I did, I just finished the end of it last night. Uh, I think it was, I ate on it for like four, four or five times was not your mama's pot roast. And so getting a mm. big, getting a big chuck roast and you put a bunch of salt and pepper on it, sear it on both sides for, uh, I think it was about a half an hour uh, on each side. And then you put it in some braising liquid, let that go for a few hours. And then you put your vegetables in, let that go for a few hours and it just comes fork tender. But you can go to, uh, you just Google like Malcolm Reed, not your mama's pot roast. Yeah. Anybody knows Malcolm Reed? Uh, he always says that that fat guys always eat well and man alive. He, it's a it's a good recipe. So, <laughs> not your mama's post pot roast. All right, you heard it here from Kenny Coleman. Thank you. That's a, that's a, that's awesome. I'm a, I'm ready for lunch now. This is a good time, and we're past the hour. So thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back here again next week. We're still going to be talking about Kubernetes and cloud modern apps. Um, I think we're going to do uh, one on, um, I forget, something easy on Kubernetes. I forget what it is. But uh, we'll be back again next week. Until then, everybody be safe. Go get your vaccine. If you can get one, get in line and get one so that uh, we can open up back to society and see everybody in person. Till then, Tony Foster, Kenny Coleman, thanks a lot for being here. We'll be see you again next week. Cheers. Thanks.